LWDG Pod Dog, the podcast that helps women train their gun dogs and become part of a supportive community. I'm Joanne Perrett, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group, and I'm thrilled to be your host. Our online membership offers expert training, monthly courses, and live coaching sessions that empower women to become confident and skilled gun dog handlers. Join us as we share insights, advice, and stories to help you and your four-legged friend achieve your goals. So grab your headphones, sit back, and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Joining me this week is the amazing Simon Grace, professional gun dog trainer and field trial competitor, and our lovely Sue Lister from Field and Fireside. This week we're going to be talking all about gun dogs unleashed with Simon Grace. Hi Simon, how are you? I'm all right, Joe. How are you? I'm really looking forward to our conversation with both yes. you and Sue about your history, or background, all the things that you've been up to. Yeah. Before we start, um, Simon, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with gun dogs and gun dog trialing? Um, how long have you got? Uh, well, I, I got my first dog probably, which was a Springer. Um, at about 20 years old. I always wanted a dog when I lived at home with my mum and dad who were never allowed to have one. Um, probably didn't, didn't trust me because we had a couple of pets that probably went by the wayside and I was to blame. But anyway, that's that's the way it is. Um, so I got my first Springer when I was about 20. I, I, I actually, I used to be a ghillie up in Scotland on, on the River Tay, uh, like a guide. And uh, while I was up there, I did a bit of part-time gamekeeping uh, beating, picking up with my dogs, you know, spaniels that I had, because I had one or two by then. Um, and really, uh, ever since then, um, I've I've just been involved in all sorts of field sports, from fishing to obviously my dogs. Um, I do a lot of deer stalking. Um, I go up to Scotland probably five or six times a year, either fishing, stalking, or doing something to do with the dogs. Um, I pick up on a couple of local grouse moors and a pheasant shoe. Um, so yeah, I'm just it, uh, that's what I do. I'm, I'm I'm busy kind of all year round, really. If it's not doing one thing, it's doing another. So so yeah, yeah, busy, busy. So what um, inspired you to transform like your love of dogs into a full time profession? Now you just mentioned you're meant to be retired. Yeah, but. Obviously, you're doing quite a lot, and you're really passionate yeah, for the yeah, dog. So, yeah. so what took you from your background to this? Um, I've, I've all, as I say, I've always been involved. My first love, and I don't want to say I've got a favourite when it comes to dogs, but my first love are spaniels, uh, Springer spaniels. I've always had springers. Um, I've had, I've had some, you know, reasonably good success with them in trials, um, and. I always kind of did that as a hobby when I was working full time. I was a telephone engineer for 29 years, and before that, I was a plumber. But I always, I always had dogs, and I always, you know, were involved with either shoot some shoot or another. Um, and then the gradual progression kind of took me towards towards trialing. Um, when I'd finished um, at Openreach, who I worked for, um, I kind of decided that I was going to do a little bit more with the dogs. Uh, because I've done one-to-ones and, and Sue who sat next to me uh, 
uh, I used to do uh, like summer classes on an evening and the weekend. And that's how I met Sue, actually. Um, and that was something that I just kind of started off. And, and it, we were all right. We, you know, we had some good times. Um, a little bit of fun along the way with people's different dogs and, and everything else. And then I was going to carry on with that. And then COVID came along, of course, and kind of spoiled it all. Um, and I never really kind of took, took it up again, that but. From then, um, Sue had maybe, you know, passed names on to me, other people. Um, and then I decided that I was going to do uh, maybe take one or two dogs in for training um, and uh, pass the word out to a couple of other people that I know in Gun Dog World, some other pro trainers. And and I get quite a little bit of work off, off them uh doing one-to-ones people ringing them up they maybe haven't got time and they kind of pass them on to me and 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 that's what i'm doing now so mainly kind of one-to-ones um just you know q, q and a type things um and i've got as i say i've got three labs at home that at the moment that are in for training plus my own uh plus a litter of pups plus two springer spaniels and there you know so yeah i've got my hands full yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, can that you know that you went from like working with gun dogs for yourself, enjoying them for yourself? Yeah. Was there sort of a significant experience or a person or people who influenced your career path going into like yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when when I, I used to go up to where I am in Yorkshire, we're very lucky around here to have some absolutely fantastic shooting estates. Um, and you know, within 20 minutes drive, we've got some of the absolute UK's best upland and lowland um, driven game shoots. One of them being Bolton Abbey, uh, which is a, a, a very, very famous grouse moor um, owned by the Duchess and, and Duke of Devonshire. Uh, one of the um, keepers up there who's just sadly died a couple of months ago, a guy called Mick Rock, um, he did a lot of trialing, um, and I met Mick up at Bolton Abbey. Um, he always kind of took an interest in my spaniels, because uh, I've always, I've always tried to maintain a good standard of training for my dogs. I, I, I'm, I'm one of these that, that I don't, I don't take my dog out into the field until it's absolutely 100% ready. Um, you know, because I've always believed that a lot of mistakes that a dog can make he can't put them right in in the shooting field it's not it's not the time or the place to do it um so mick kind of took me under his wing a little bit and and gave me a lot of advice mick obviously did a lot of trialing he won the championships back in uh british championships back in 19 i think it might have been 1987 with a bitch called simon seat slip um, that went on to produce, um, that was a bitch obviously, went on to produce some other top trialing dogs. And it was Mick that really got me involved and just give me that kind of taste for competition and uh, obviously to just progress and just push your dogs that little bit more to just to get the best out of them, you know. Um, so, yeah. So this gentleman, Mick, introduced you yeah. to the sport was yeah. incredibly good at the sport. Absolutely. For everybody listening who doesn't know anything about trials, 
can you give us like just a brief overview of what Gandog trial involves? Yeah, well, a, a lot of people seem to get confused between a, a field trial and a test, um, and the two completely different things. Um, a test is run using um, artificial game, either dummies or cold game or whatever. A trial is a proper walked-up shoot. So let's, for example, let's say it's a it's a rabbit trial. You get a lot in Yorkshire, um, although rabbits aren't as, as as prevalent as what they used to be, but they, they still do have a lot of rabbit trials in Yorkshire. So there'll be there'll be two handlers. So say me with my spaniel, uh, somebody on my right hand side with another spaniel, or left hand side, depending on which way you start. Each handler has a judge behind him, and you've got a gun to your left and a gun to your right and a couple of guns in the middle. So you might be covering a, a, a space of around 30, 40 yards. So you've got two handlers, two judges, two guns on inside and two guns on outside. And basically your dog is, is looking for game. Um, the judge is looking for hunting ability, looking for steadiness to game. I mean, there's a whole a, a, a multitude of things that can go wrong in field trials. Your dog's running in, your dog's pegging game, which is obviously picking something up that's not un that's not being shot and bringing it back to hand. So um, it's got to be steady when it actually flushes game. It can't go and retrieve the item of game until you send it for the to 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 go retrieve it. And your judge will tell you when to send your dog. So that if if you if your dog flushes the pheasant. Or a rabbit and it gets shot, you're there, your dog, your dog's obviously marked it or hopefully marked it. Your judge will say, send your dog, you send your dog, your dog brings it back, you obviously delivers it as nicely as possible to hand, you turn, give your item again to the judge, and then you either carry on. Once your judge see has seen enough of your dog, it's it's hunting ability, the way that it handles. Um, the, you know, there's, as I say, there's a few things that your, your judge is looking at. Once he's seen everything and he's happy with what he's seen, then you've kind of finished and then you move. So you'll go and then another handler will come in behind you and it just carries on like that. So it is, um, th there's two different types of trials. There's your novice trial and then your open trial. And they're doing all, what they call an all-aged as well. But basically, it's your novice trial is the one that you you try to get through and win and then when you've won a novice then you get through to your opens uh then your opens if you win an open then you qualify for championships so it's it's a, it's a big thing although i say it's a big thing it's it's when you go to these trials <clears throat> you often find that you see the same people so it's a small nucleus of people that are involved in trialing uh but it's very competitive there's a lot of uh, let's say a lot of politics. Um, there's a lot of big handlers that, that seem to do very well a lot of the time, um, and I've, I've had I've had quite a lot of luck over the years, you know, with some good dogs, and uh, and yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's one of them things that you've got to. If somebody's thinking about getting into trialing, think about it very very carefully because it's going to cost you an awful lot of money. Um, it's going to cost you, and if you want your dogs to be good and be with a chance of winning, it's going to cost you an awful lot of time, um, a lot of mileage going here, there, and everywhere, either shooting 
or trialing. It, it, it's it's a big thing, it and it takes a, a it's quite a selfish sport because you tend to spend a lot of time away from home. Um, but yeah, it, it, once you get into it, it's great. It, it is it is good. Yeah, yeah. Share with our listeners um, some of your most well, your most memorable gendo trial, and why was it the most memorable? Uh, right, most memorable. I've had a few. Well, the most memorables are the ones that I've won. Um, <laughs> but saying that, um, I used to have a, a a little black and white bitch uh, called Megan, um, bred from a field trial champion called Wenmouth Brecker, with a Welsh a Welsh guy called Gareth Williams that bred her out of his own bitch um, called Gwenna Jest, actually, sorry, sired by Wenmouth Breck. And I'm going back to old breeding here. A lot of these dogs now that I'm talking about might be on your fourth or fifth generation if you look at a five-generation pedigree. And and that little thing um, probably stood 10 inch to shoulder, uh, absolute machine. Uh, tough as old boots, would go through anything from brambles, flat bracken, rushes. She was the creme de la creme of spaniels. And she, uh, to a lot of my friends, she was a field trial champion that never was, simply because um, I was running in an open qualifier uh, for the championships with a Pembrokeshire Gundog Club down at Bilth Wells down in South Wales, which you probably know, Joe. Um, I've gathered that you're Welsh, weird accent, but anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not far yeah, from yeah, you. Yeah. Well, I gathered that one away at Game Fair, but anyway, they are uh, down at Bilth Wells. And um, there were a runoff. When a runoff is, is when the judges just can't make a decision as to who's going to come first, second or third. So what they'll do is they'll bring the three dogs in and one dog will run off against another and they'll look at the hunting and they're just looking for the, the real fine point. And um, I ended up getting a run -off, having a runoff with a bitch called Phillips Girl handled by a guy called Norman Blakeney from Northern Ireland. And the runoff was for first place. And unfortunately, I kind of got picked at the post and I got second. Uh, that dog that won went on to win the championships that year. And it were a memorable trial because, you know, when you just have to pull everything out of the, out of the bag and, and she did it, you know. Um, that bitch, and I've had other ones, um, you know, in, in past dogs and bitches that have been memorable. But that sometimes when you look back at the kind of successes, it, I mean, I've never had major success. I've never kind of obviously been placed in the champion. I've never even qualified for championships, not through lack of trying. Uh, but I've done all right in novices and I've, I've had plenty of awards in opens, but you sometimes look back at your dogs and the, the difficult part of, of trialing is always trying to find a dog that were better than your last one. And that's so, so difficult. And trying to find the the qualities in a dog that that your last one had that you had all the successes with and it doesn't happen um often and you look back at, like you know with megan that that I, I ran in that trial 
Um, she was just a tremendous dog. I ended up retiring her, retiring her uh, off to a, a gamekeeper friend of mine um, over in Lancashire. And he was a good handler, um, the guy that I give him to. And even he, after all the Spaniels, a real, a proper old type Spaniel, Spaniel man. And even he said that he was probably the best Spaniel that he'd ever had. And she just did everything. Never, never put a foot wrong. Never put a foot wrong. You knew that if you went to a trial, you were always going to be knocking on the door. You know, we're one of them. Um, it, some dogs, you go to trials and you think, well, if she does everything right, I'm in with a chance. If she does something wrong, I'm going to be put out. But chances are she's going to be put out because she's going to do something wrong. With that bitch, it, that was never the case. You always knew that that she was going to pull it out for you know pull it out at back for you and 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 come up with that little bit of magic and unfortunately we we never made it to the top but uh, but yeah some a real real nice dog i suppose like like you said it's such a a small group of people yeah running such incredible dogs yeah it really is like it's literally the formula one of of gun dogs it's, oh, it? absolutely absolutely especially in spaniels as well um obviously you know it's a different a spaniel is a different animal to a labrador and and, and obviously it, it depends what turns you on you know it depends what turns you on when it comes to comes to to gun dogs i mean for me much as i love labradors and i love to see them going back on four five hundred yard retrieves and over fences and over walls and you, you might be on a grouse mode and one at guns will say there's a, a grouse that's dropped back way behind line and you send your dog back and it picks it. That's brilliant. You know, it is. But to get a real quality, hard hunting spaniel that will hunt in front of you to find something for you to shoot, it's that to me, that's just a creme de la creme. There's, there's nothing better, you know, nothing better than a, a, a real proper hard hunting spaniel and you don't get that many hard hunting spaniels you get some nice hunting spaniels but i like something that tears through through cover and does what a spaniel's supposed to do we were just talking earlier actually before you joined us simon about you know obviously field sports are under attack from all sorts of angles at the minute and you know it it's a sort of scary thought but there's a possibility that field sports will no longer exist in the future what do you think if that were the case would be the result on you've mentioned you know careful breeding and, mm. and bloodlines working lines do you think that would mean that the gun dog and trialing world would become say more diluted or do you, because they don't have an everyday job to do or do you think actually that would put the focus more on trialing because that's all they'd have to do well if if these people that want to stop i.e shooting or field sports uh trialing just won't happen it'll just stop um there are those people out there um i won't mention any names um but that, that want to see it all gone tomorrow i run a facebook group called well i said i run it me and some other admin members uh, run a facebook group called action against antis and it all kind of started um when uh grouse shooting were banned on ilkley moor back in 2018 
um, a group called Band Blood Sports on Yorkshire's Moors um, started doing campaigns at various places and I started this little group of people just to basically go and stand next to them and um, dispel the myth um, that shooting, driven game shooting, driven grouse shooting were a bad thing and it's not it's not a bad thing at all in fact it's 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 a good thing for for and beneficial for for our uplands i mean the uplands and i'm looking at them now as i'm looking at ourselves window our nearest motorway is bingley moor um and the uplands are a very important part of um the british countryside as in wildlife diversity and everything that you see on a grouse moor doesn't happen by accident it's there because um, it's managed and it's managed obviously to produce grouse for shooting but alongside of that there are other birds you red listed waders and, and insects and animals that benefit by that if all that goes um if grouse shooting goes then pheasant shooting goes if pheasant shooting goes we've lost it all um, only because a lot of these estates, uh, like Bolton Abbey, um, other ones in surrounding areas, you know, up here, but from the length and breadth of Britain, rely on an income, and people that work on these estates rely on um, that estate for a job, uh, for raising the families, um, and without the shooting, it'll just all go so talking about what will happen will it be more diluted will uh field trialing be less i don't know maybe less compact well it's even worth talking about because if it goes the lot's gone we won't be field trialing um the 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 the, the, the only thing we will be doing if anything is is running tests and i i don't want to be involved in a gun dog world where all, all I can do is run dogs in tests. Although I have done it past and they're very enjoyable. They are, you know, and I've had success in tests. Um and it's great, but that ain't what it's about. Um it's about bringing out your dog's natural abilities and a dog's natural ability isn't to find a two-pound dummy in the middle of a field. It's natural abilities to find game and if it goes, then, as I say, our dogs won't have that opportunity to do that. Sadly, I, it, it breaks, it absolutely breaks my heart to think that that could happen. Uh, the pe There are a lot of people that believe it won't happen. A lot of people that aren't even bothered, that or don't seem to bother whether it'll happen or not. But when it does happen, then they do do will it the fan big time. Uh, because then it'd be all like, well, you know, we didn't see that coming. Well, you did see it coming. I've been talking about it for the last five to eight years about uh, field sports being banned. Now, when I say field sports, I'm, I'm not talking fishing or deer stalking necessarily. Really, I'm, I'm talking about shooting as a sport. Um, a lot of people think it doesn't have a place in modern society now, but it absolutely does. Um, especially when we're talking about putting wild game on the table, 
eating the right sort of food. Mm. So it absolutely has got a place in, in, in modern society. Um, and we need, as, as a field sports community, to keep this thing going. Um, it, and 10 years ago, we wouldn't have been having this conversation, 10 or 15 years ago. And it's only because of the likes of LAX, well, League Against Cruel Sports, Banned Blood Sports from Yorkshire's Moors, Wild Justice, uh, Wild Moors, all these up, Peter, all these animal rights organisations have got such a foothold now that um, they've got some real, some real pork, and I, I, I don't, I don't like what's happening. And and these people are trying to stop us from doing what we're doing. Uh, we're branded as murderers, as psychopaths, you know, or not. Hey, listen to you, I've got five shotguns and three rifles at home in my shotgun cabinet. If I were a psychopath, I don't think West Yorkshire Police would be happy about me having that, you know, that sort of hardware in my house. Now, it, it, we're branded as all these, you know, with all these names. But yet, we are, and the keepers, you know, the people that are involved in, fields, in shooting, um, the keepers, the estate managers, we are involved in keeping the countryside, managing it. So, you know, and, and as I say, it, it, it don't look like it does by accident. When when people go on these winter walks and they see the, a big, beautiful cock pheasant on the fence and, oh, look at, you know, that 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 ain't there because it, it's by accident. It's there because there's a, there's a shoot somewhere in that area. When you see a pack of grouse flying across a, a moor at 70 mile an hour, it's there because it's it's managed and it's managed for shooting. You, you can tell I'm passionate about this. And, yeah. and, and it's it's it makes me blood boil when when people want to stop me from doing what I want to do. And I I I and I can't I do not get why there are people that that just want us to spoil it for us. You know, and, and it, it's awful. It's awful. And, uh, you know, I don't have sleepless nights about it, but I've got a lot of concerns about it, you know. Well, we hopefully are seeing some sort of, some balance. Like, you know, this in the Telegraph in May, the vets are putting a letter about how the hunting bans in 2004 had yeah. a catastrophic effect on yeah. foxes. Yeah. You know, where fox hunting was... Um, almost regulating a life cycle within yeah. the, the countryside. It is now a free-for-all. Yeah. Healthy foxes are being killed. Foxes yeah. are being killed in massive numbers. We're seeing mm. huge declines. In some state, um, in some county boroughs, we are seeing near enough extinction of yeah. foxes. Which hopefully, this, this new concept coming forward is, look, we have to bring balance to the argument, don't we? We can't have... Yeah. Just the one side. No, you're right. Time. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But it's getting the right people to listen to our argument. I mean, look at look at what Welsh government are trying to do with, with releasing pheasants now. You know, I mean, there's no two ways about it. The Welsh government want pheasant shooting banned, and they're trying to find every little which way that they can to do it. Now, releasing birds on SSS, you know, on, on sites of special scientific interest land. Uh, all, all that, you know, just, just taking it apart piece by piece, brick by brick. Luckily, we've got some good shooting organisations, you know, Basque and, and National Gamekeepers organisation working behind the scenes to, 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 to try and keep things going. But the threat's there, Joe. And I know what you're saying. 
about the foot, but the threat is there and it's always going to be there. It's going to be one of them things where we, we, we can never drop our guard now. 25, 30 years ago, we could go out and, and shoot and enjoy ourselves and, 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 you know, have a really good day out with our friends. Now we go out, we've got to look over our shoulder and make sure a bus ain't going to turn up with 30 ounces on it that's going to come and spoil our day. And and that's a sad state of affairs. And and I, I, I was hoping, you know, that looking back maybe 10 years ago, you kind of hope that it, we'd never get to this stage. But we have. And, and it is what it is. Um, we've got to knuckle down, protect, promote and defence field sports individually as well as supporting our shooting organisations, not them supporting us. We've got to support them as well. It's a two-way thing. You know, when you become a member of Basque, you're not just joining a club. You're joining an organisation that relies on you as much as you re you're relying on them. And a lot of people don't realise that. But it is a two-way thing. And and Sue's question, I think, you know, is, is, is absolutely right in the fact that if you've got dogs and you're not part of uh, shooting or part of trialling, the reality is the dog in front of you is still a product of that environment. Yeah. And without that environment, we yeah. lose the quality of dog in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. I mean, you, let's go back to school, go back to any kind of breed of gun dog. Let's, let's talk about Labradors, for example. When a dog's made up to a field trial champion, it's made up to a field trial champion for a reason. It's because it's got all the natural abilities that a gun dog, a true gun dog, should have. Now, obviously, you know, when you look at Labradors, there's dogs that are bred for show, some dogs that are bred for working and show, but, you know, but I'm talking about true working dogs here. So you've got a dog there that's proven itself in the field, that it's, it can retrieve game undamaged it can find game without chasing it but it basically it's got a nose it's got a brain and it's got a mouth that will retrieve game back undamaged now if that stops then there's nobody there to decide what dogs are good and what dogs are bad so then you're going to get a bit of an awkward situation then are you because you're going to get bob's dog mixed bitch da 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 litter of pups nobody knows what it's like are you going to still have its hips and elbows tested are you still going to have its eyes tested are you going to have uh, you know people at the moment as i say with Thailand, when you've got a dog and you're using a stud dog you've got all the health certificates it's been fully health tested that's because people want to maintain a standard a standard if you can't maintain that standard then you might as well just forget it and that standard is maintained through field trials, you know, and, and well, I'm talking about working dogs here, not sure, not sure dogs. That standard is maintained purely and simply through field trials. So you know if you're going to choose a dog for your bitch to have a litter of pups, if it's got FTCH in front of it, field trial champion, field trial winner, you know that dog has achieved a certain standard in the field. So you can safely use that dog knowing that them qualities that that dog has is going to be you know transferred hopefully somewhere along the line genetically between that dog and your bitch and come out with a pup that's going to be obviously 
something nice that you can use as a shooting dog. That's what it's all about. So if field trials go, as I say, the whole thing kind of goes. So talking about qualities, what qualities do you believe make uh, a great gun dog and, and how do you foster them in the dogs you train? For me, I mean, again, Spaniels, Labradors, although the different types of dog for a different type of job, they still all have to have the same qualities. Um, for me, docility, something that you've always got a, a dog that that wants to learn. It won't, you know, I look at, I, I've got this black Labrador at home now that's just had a litter of pups. I can look in that dog's eyes and I can see real trust in that dog. And that dog, I get quite emotional about all this sort of stuff. That dog absolutely trusts me 100%. I trust that dog 100% and we've got a real bond. And to, to, to have any form of success, not necessarily in competition, but just to train a dog. If you want to successfully train a dog, you've got to have that trust and that bond in a dog. And I kind of spoke to you briefly about the other day on that interview that we did for the Gold Dog Journal, that if you've got a dog that don't do it for you, for whatever reason, and you try to persevere, you'll never get 100% from that dog, only because you're not going to give it 100%. I've had Spaniels, let's go back to Spaniels. So let's say you've got, as I have in the past, I've got 12 Spaniels in my kennels at home. Some dogs have absolutely cannot wait to get out of that kennel to get them out and do some training with them because they just fill you out with joy you know when you get them out they're great to be around they're easy you love training them they go from a to b from b to c brilliant i've had other dogs where i thought god this thing is sending me out twist now some dogs that are like that you gain success it makes it a little bit more special because you've you've got you've overcome those barriers but some dogs you just don't hit it off at all and if you don't hit it off, what's what's point in trying to continue? You know, it, 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 you're just better moving on and, and getting another dog and hopefully trying next time to, to have better success. But I always look for a dog that wants to be around me, not one that as soon as I open boat a car, it just runs off and you don't see it again for half an hour. That you know, I want a dog when it gets out back of the car, it's jumping up at me, wants to be with me, wants to see what's in back of my coat when I put my hand in my pocket, wants to see what I'm going to pull out when I put my whistle on. It's thinking, hey, up, you know, we're off here, you know, that, that sort of thing. You know, I want a dog that's that's a, a mate, that's a friend, you know, and you, you do get them, you know, the, the, I'm not saying the few and far between, but they're not all like that. So, yeah, there are certain qualities that, that I like to see in a dog. I'm not necessarily saying that if it hasn't got those qualities, you can't do anything with it. Of course you can. But you're always going to produce the best stuff out of a dog that you really like. And, and that is, it's that simple. I always kind of think, and I used to mention it a lot when we used to run these summer classes, that if you get a teacher and it's got 20 kids in that class, if you've got 50% of those kids that are absolutely brilliant and they learned quickly and they're doing really well and then you've got another 10 that are always laughing and smoking at back at class and not bothered you do you know what i mean to, no, no but you know you know what well, you couldn't learn how to still um that teacher is always going to think well 
I'm going to really kind of put my efforts into, it's a natural thing, put your efforts into the ones that are going to do the best. Mm. At the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to make you famous, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you've got a class full of kids and they all do really, really well, then you as a teacher look good. If you've got a class full of kids and they all do absolutely, they all fail the all levels and they you know, then you will, what you've been doing with them, you know. And I think it's, same, it's exactly the same with dogs that you get your best qualities out of the ones that you like. And, and yeah, it, 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 it's not easy, but, you know, through experience and having a few dogs through your hands, you kind of learn which ones you like and which ones you don't like so much. I like them all, but some I like more than others. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, I think it's a friendly relationship, so, isn't it? Like, you can have a 100 friends, but the, you'll have those 10 friends who you just love spending time with yeah so yeah you see, the, best friends. yeah the thing yeah. is joe right and i don't know if you've seen it yourself but i see it quite regularly you're driving around in your car and you see somebody walking a dog and he's got his ear pods in and you think hang on a minute you know it, what sort of relationship does that if i took you out on a date and i turned up and i had my ear pods in all night what would you think <laughs> you were thinking this fella don't want to talk to me and and i kind of look i think what sort of a bond has he got with that dog if, he, if he's walking along he's not even when i'm walking my dogs or i'm out i'm just talking to him all the time i'm saying come on you know blah 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 you know good lad good boy good boy even when i'm sending him out on retrieves 200 yard retrieves i'm shouting good lad good lad encouraging it to get back all the time and as soon as it's picked that dummy up good boy good boy fetching telling it to come back and getting it in close getting on your knees getting on floor with it and having a bit of a rough and tumble and just having that brilliant kind of friendship, you know. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's... Feel it, quality, not quantity, it, isn't it? It's it not going for an hour's walk. No. If the dog's self-employed and has no interest uh, exactly. in not engaging with it. If, you, if you're training your dogs, you're better taking them out for two 20-minute stints in a day rather than doing it four hours on a weekend. If, you, if you've got a dog and you're, you're, you've got a job that, that's, that's absolutely full-time, you're going to meetings, you've got this, you're working from home, you blah, 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 and you take your dog out training on a Saturday morning, then, yeah, you're going to get something out of it. You know, you, you're going to get pleasure out of it. But that dog's never going to benefit by long, one-off training sessions. They've got to be short, they've got to be sweet, and they've got to be successful. And uh, but yeah, you're right. So in, in, in what you say there, yeah, sh you know, short short stints is always better than um, than long ones. But uh, but yeah, yeah. This sometimes comes up in some of our forums on the ladies working dog group, where you know we're sort of asked how residential training works. Is it cheating, for want of a better word? will you have the same bond with the dog that you would have if you did it yourself? So do you want to sort of give us a bit of an insight into how residential training normally works and, and importantly, what happens afterwards? Because right. it's not just a take your dog and then it's trained and that's it then, right. is it? No, is no, it? no, no. Firstly, you, 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 when you get a dog in for training, um, you're not only building a relationship with your dog you're also building a relationship with the owner of that dog i've had dogs in for training that the guys or the girls that have taken the dogs back from me they often ring me uh, they'll come back 
and we'll have a couple of hours just keeping on top of things. Uh, they might come back for a couple of weeks at a time, just before the shooting season starts, for a bit of refresher training, if you like. Is it cheating? No, it's not. It's not cheating. What is cheating is if you haven't got time to train your dog and you're expecting to get results. If you're getting a dog and you think that you're going to bring the absolute best out of that dog, if you haven't got time to train it and you're still expecting to get the best out of it, then you're cheating the dog. You're not cheating yourself. You know, you've got a dog and you want to get the best out of it. Come hell or high water. So if you don't have, I'm not saying, I don't want to say if you don't have the abilities. Everybody's got an ability to train a dog to a certain standard. But you might not have the ability just to do it as you want it to be done. You might not have the time to do it, um, which is generally the case. It's down to time. If I get a dog in for training, generally I take him at about seven, eight, nine months old. I like to think when I'm getting a dog that the owner's done some form of training with it. I don't like getting a blank canvas, so to speak. When these pups that I've got now, uh, they're just on the feet. By five weeks old, they will be retrieving a tennis ball without a shadow of a doubt because every morning I'll get one of them out, throw a little ball for it, throw a rolled up sock for it, just get it coming back, get that built in to its DNA, if you like. Labrador retriever, in inverted commas, don't always mean that they're going to be brilliant retrievers. You get some natural retrievers. Uh, spaniels that hunt, you get some natural hunters, some you don't. Um, but I like to think that the owner has done something with it, a little bit of recall, a little bit of walking on lead, a little bit of retrieving. If you do get a blank canvas and you're starting from scratch with an eight-month-old dog, you we're talking about a dog that's probably picked up quite a few bad habits along the way. So it's going to take a little bit longer. You've got to work a little bit harder and you've got to be a little bit more understanding towards that dog in the respect that it's gone from one environment where it's just been allowed to do whatever it wants to somebody saying, right, this dog is now eight months old. It's ready to be trained as a gun dog. There you go, Simon. Thanks very much. I'll see you in six months' time. And it, 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 yeah, that does happen. It, it isn't always the best the best way forward. When I get a dog at seven month old, but first or eight month old, however old it is, um, I generally don't want them over twelve months old because by that time they've, they've kind of I'm not saying they've gone past the best, but you're getting something that might be a little bit more difficult to deal with. But first two weeks I do nothing apart from take it to pub for a pint, get it get it to be my best mate. If your dog's not your mate. Forget it, you ain't got a chance. Um, as again, going back to trust. A couple of weeks, a week or two weeks, just getting it, you know, to trust you, be a friend. And then basically then you've got a routine, you know, that you kind of go through. Um, all dogs are different. Some dogs are great walking on lead. We'll have doors walking to wheel. Some dogs are. Some dogs are great at retrieving. Some dogs are. Some dogs are great at, at just kind of sitting and staying and having a bit of patience. Some dogs are. So it, 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 it varies. Now, going back to what I was saying about dogs that you like and dogs that you don't like, some dogs you do get in for training that you don't particularly, I'm not saying you don't like, but you won't have it yourself. And it's a challenge to get results, yeah, with that dog. Um, 
when somebody's kind of paying you to do it, you've got to get results. Either that or you ring them up and you explain the situation and say, look, this dog, it's just not doing what I want it to do. I think you'd be better taking it back. And I've had that. Some dogs that are really, really difficult, some that are a little bit aggressive. Um, but you generally find that out in the first couple of weeks and yeah, I've had to send them back. But in the main, they come, uh, probably spend anything from three to six months uh, with me. When they kind of get to a stage where I've got something to show the client, I'll invite them back, we'll take them out. I'll say, right, this is what we've been doing. I can get it, you know, it's stopping on whistle when it goes out. You know, if you're looking for, you've planted a few dummies and you send your dog out and get it hunting or it walks nicely on lead, it'll sit and stay, you can put it out on rights and lefts and all that sort of thing. And, you know, they want to see that your dog's progressing. Um, when eventually you've got the finished item, um, which, when I say finished item, a dog's never a finished item. You're forever training your dog. Um, I hand that dog back and I, I always stress that a, a dog, a shooting dog, it's not like a gun where you've been shooting all season with it and you just stick it in cupboard at the end of the season. And then when you get it out in August or September, it's just going to pick up from where. It's not like that. Mm. You've got to maintain that training. Uh, you know, you take, you take a dog out through somewhere, although you're not shooting with it, you'll sit and stay with it throw a blind, throw a, 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 a seam retrieve for it, throw a blind somewhere, send it back for this, stop it on whistle, you know, just go through a basic kind of exercise with it. And I always kind of say, you need to do that, maybe two or three times a week, just to keep on top of things. But then when they've gone, um, they might, you know, I always say to them, look, if you've got any problems, give us a ring, come back, we'll have an hour. It, it might have to come back for a week just to kind of put a few little things right that have gone a little bit wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly it, it's, um, I won't, I would never say it, 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 it's it's cheating as such, like Sue said, it, that, that people might look at it like that. And it's certainly not um, a case of um, somebody thinking, well, you know, well, you know, I, I haven't done right by the dog by sending it away, or I'm not doing right by it. Well, of course you are. You're doing it because you want to get the best out of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to get your best out, if, if if you don't think you can get the best out of that dog and you take it out into the shooting field. See, the thing is, when you take a dog out into the shooting field, you get other guys there with dogs. And I've seen them. We've all seen them. that are just dogs that are wild. You've got a dog that behaves itself, that sits on a peg, off at lead. You can put your gun down. You can go to speak to the guy who's on the next peg. Your dog's still sat there. It never moves during drive. Don't matter whether there's birds running around, birds dropping. In the end of drive, you send your dog to pick that one, pick that one. End of day, somebody comes up and says, oh, hell, I wish I had that dog in my kennel. At end of day, Joe, it don't matter who's trained it. It's yeah. still your dog, you know, and, and you've maintained that training for that dog. You know, if, if, if you haven't got the time, you don't think you've got the ability. The other thing, of course, is if you don't think you've got the ability, go for one-to-ones. Just go for one-to-one -one lessons and say, right, this is what I want you to do for the next two weeks. When you've done that, then we'll go to the next step. When you've done that, then we'll go to the next step. And that handler is also learning 
by training that dog themselves. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it's down to time. If you if you work full time, you know, it's there's all sorts of reasons why you might send your dog away for training. It always baffles me though, like because I come from a, a horsey background, very much did a lot of competing stuff when we were younger. Me and dad both hunted, um, and my brother. And you never think anything of buying a you know a five-year-old an eight-year-old horse has done it all you know nobody says oh i'm cheating because i'm on this horse now with somebody else trained and when i came into dogs when my dad was trialing yeah he would buy a part trained gun dog it wasn't it wasn't a bad thing and i see all that side of it so when we started the lwdg and there was this sort of like oh you've got to have them from a pack when the two of you are absolutely clueless Mm. have no idea what's going on and train them yourself again why would you do it that way? Why would you not have one of you having a clue what this is meant to look like? Uh, well, I, I sold a spaniel only last last week um, to to a guy, um, one that I bred myself. Absolutely lovely dog, um, no problem with it at all. Just didn't do do it for me. Sadly, um, and, and it was well, I say sadly. Unfortunately, it was a bitch or a, a pup that I bred out of my own field trial winning bitch. Uh, one that I'd won a novice with and had various awards in opens and you always kind of hope that that you know it's gonna follow on and this is what I'm saying about going back to a dog that you think is always going to do better than the last one and you kind of think well it's not going to make the grading trials but it's going to make a lovely shooting dog now that guy who's taking that dog I know for a fact he's only had it a fortnight and it's just dropped in straight away he's taking it out he's hunting he's been out rabbit shooting with it twice already no, and, and because when you're training a dog, you you kind of ingraining something in that dog's brain, if you know what I mean. You're not just it's, you're not giving it a book to read. It's something that you're trying to it's part of its you're trying to get it to be part of its DNA, if you understand what I mean. So you do something on a regular basis and you do it often enough and you rep- it's repetition repetition getting your dog to do this getting your dog to do that and if you've got a dog i've had spaniels where i've been in a beating line and there's been some young kid on end that would love a dog never had one and i said here take this dog beating and it's gone and it's gone with him my dogs will go with anybody and do anything for anybody my wife's not into dogs in a big way but she can get them to sit in garden get them to walk nice long lead she'll take them out for a walk they'll walk lovely they'll sit whenever she stops they'll sit you know and and it's just part of their it's just become part of their uh, it's habitual and my dogs i've always kind of thought that the 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 well adjusted well-rounded and they'll kind of go with anybody you know and as i say this guy's taking this dog and it's just fitting straight away so buying a part trained dog or a fully trained dog yeah i mean it, 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 if it's done right it shouldn't it shouldn't ever ever be an issue it shouldn't ever be an issue i don't think if my dad hadn't given me grace uh his field trialing dog the first time i ever went out my first experience of gun dogs was take what breed was that joe what breed she was a spaniel, oh, a spaniel and right, she okay. was um she was called Bringaro Gracie. She'd done right. roads with dad. You went, take her. And I went beating all day. And I must have looked like I knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. The bitch did the job in front of me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I had my passion and my love for it came mm. from watching her hunt. I was mesmerized. Yeah. Now, had yeah. she been 
I had my dad to train myself and I was fighting with, which now I've got younger dogs and I do, you know, there's massive gaps in my learning compared to their learning. And I look at it, I think if I'd had that experience, I wouldn't have loved it. Like I loved it from the fact that I watched a dog do it perfectly. And in my brain, we talk about like what's ingrained. Mm. What she gave me, I know what it's meant to look like. So I know when my dogs are not doing it right. I know what it should look like. So it gave me something to attain. And I think for a lot of people, I would never say to somebody, you know, oh, you you should ne- you should get rid of your dog because of this. But when you're right. brand new with brand new do- a brand new pup, brand new trainer, yeah. you've got to start somewhere by seeing what it's meant to look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that the my, my last spaniel bitch that I had, my trialing bitch that I had, um, she went out of a uh, by a dog called Buckle Pepper, um, that's a quite a famous stud dog. A guy that ran it, Dave Lissy, owned by Dogs Owned by Duke of Clue. And I know Dave, and I and I had this bitch, and I said I said to him, look, you know, I, I wanna oh I'm sorry, no, I, I went after a pup that was sired by Clue Pepper. I'd used I'd used him before, Jet is his is his pet name was. I'd used him before and I spoke to Dave. I said, look, Dave, I want I want a pup out of a quality bitch by Pepper. When if anybody comes along, so he rang me a few months later. And said, "Listen, I've had this lad come round with this, but I'm not going to mention any names. So I've had this lad with this come round with this bitch. Said he's used, he's used yet, um, and I think it, it it could be worth a pump. You know, it could be worth a pump." He said, "The thing is, the dog knows more about job than he does." Now, by saying that, basically, the, the, the dog was so well bred with. Not a lot of training, but it were an unbelievable bitch. You know, she were really nice. And and the guy that owned it, you know, we, we got to be quite friendly. And the did the dog did know more about the job than he did. Um and obviously, you know, I I ended up with this pup that I ended up winning winning trials and, and you know, as I say, went through who opens with her. And yeah, you're right, you know, um it, it's it, it it's not always about you actually taking that dog out. If you've got the right raw material, let's let's put it that way. If you've got the right raw material, you know, if you don't put yeast in a loaf of bread, it's never going to rise, is it? So you've got to have all the right ingredients. You've got to have the right raw material. Generally, generally, you'll get a right sort of animal out of it, you know. I've got a dog. My dog, Rex, is, is by Booker Pepper and yeah. trained by Mental. And my bitch, her grandfather is Booker Pepper, trained by me. And yeah. I look at him and I think, that is what she can do. And yeah. she knows she can do it. But yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a gap in my learning. She knows yeah. the job. Have you ever had a dog where you've, been, you've looked at it and you've been shooting over it or whatever, like I do, and I think, I can't believe I've trained that dog. You know, and it's like, it's, it, it's just being better than you ever thought it would be. Now, I've not had a lot of them, you know, but I've had a few of them. And, and... You know, you're right. It's um, it's a funny, it's a funny job, isn't it? You know, it, <laughs> it, is. drives, it, it is. drives us all mad. It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> That's what you should call this podcast. It's a funny job. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Um, one, one, one thing about it, it's never straightforward. It's never, never straightforward. It's never boring. But well, well, certainly never boring. No, <laughs> Do you have any advice for aspiring gun dog trainers or owners who yeah. want to get into like shooting and trialing? Right. Advice. Um, right. Well, I mean, we've all got to start somewhere. Um, if before you get into trialing, 
you've got to get into shooting. Now, you can't, well, you can't leave that short fact, trial a dog if you don't shoot yourself. I know people that do, but you can't ever have a real quality trialing dog if you don't shoot, if you don't shoot, or you don't get somebody to shoot something for it. It's got to be, it's it like you turn up at a test and you've got somebody throwing dummies about. So firstly, you've got to get involved in, in the shooting side of it. Um, ideally, start off beating, doing a little bit of picking up if you can. Um, even better, befriending a keeper that will let you do a little bit of dogging in on, on pheasants and stuff, pushing pheasants back into pens. Any kind of um, involvement in game that you can get your dog you know, into, uh, the better. So, you know, rabbits, pheasants, in a pheasant pen or a rabbit pen. Um, it's just, it, it's not easy to get into. It's just kind of getting to know the right sort of people. Also, as well, if you're joining clubs, a lot of these clubs have training days um, where they do like walk up shoots or summer tests. Get Just kind of get to know the right people. I think joining clubs is is probably the best way forward. Uh, there are some very there's some clubs that don't do a lot of stuff out of season. There are some very good clubs that do a lot of stuff out of season through summer. Even meeting up for barbecues and stuff. I know it sounds daft, but it just gives you that opportunity to meet other like-minded people and kind of just gets you into it if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, get involved in shoot in the shooting side of it. Get involved in the beating side of it, and you just kind of kind of get it built build it up from there. You'll never have a successful dog in trials if you if it's not regularly coming into contact with, with live game. Um, it's one of them things, you know. That's that's where the kind of quality dogs shine through in trials. Ones that have had a lot of you can always tell good spaniels when they've had a lot of rabbit shot for them. The ones that kind of haven't had a lot of rabbit shot for them are the ones that just kind of don't shine, if you like. Um, you can always tell when they've had a lot of a, a lot of game in the mouth. Uh, but yeah, you know, just just get into the shooting side of it more than anything, and join and join some clubs. You can get a list of uh, field trialing clubs from from Kennel Club. Um, I think you can download them off their website. So every every club in the country is on there. How can um, our listeners contact you if they're interested? Um, well, John? either through either through Sue or or through you, Joe. Uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook, Simon Grace. If they want to just drop me a line, and I'm always up for a chat. I'm always up for a chat with anybody who wants to ring me, just for a, not even a bit of advice, just to talk about just talk about dogs. You know, I'm happy. You'll be inundated now with women calling you to ask I, you I, just well, yeah. I don't know what my wife will say about that, but anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this podcast. Your um, advice is invaluable and I'm sure the listeners will love it. Please let us know what you think about it. If you're loving the podcast, please subscribe and give us a review. And thank you, Sue, for co-hosting this with me. Massively appreciated. And we shall speak to you all very soon. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with Joanne Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. If you're interested in joining our supportive community and taking advantage of our group experts training and resources, please visit our website at www.thelwdg.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And we look forward to helping you and your four-legged friend thrive. Until next time, keep training, keep learning, and keep working with your beloved gun dog.